Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. Simon. How are you doing? Hey. Hello. Hello. Simon. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hi, Simon Brooks back with the Conversations with Storytellers podcast. A podcast of wisdom, thoughts, folk and fairy tales with our elders. A meeting with professional storytellers. This is part two of the Len Cabrell and Bill Harley interview. Yes, we're back. Let's get straight into the rest of the interview with Bill Harley and Len Cabrell. If you missed the previous episode, I recommend going back to listen to part one. It is great. We return with me asking Len about his books and CDs. Yeah, I have uh, I have four, I think five, five CDs, thank you. I have five CDs. Um, yeah, but by my first CD, Bill joins me on it. Maybe do his uh, really? right. his story, um, his song. Yeah, that's uh, what friends are for. That's what friends are for. Yes, right. And uh, and so yes, I have five CDs. I have um, a how-to storytelling book uh-huh. um, published by Neil Schumann. And uh, most recently, I have a a picture book, How the Rabbit Lost His Tail, and uh, it's a Haitian folk tale. Um, and published by um, you know, Parker, Parker House, Parkers. Parker's Brothers, Parker's Brothers, okay. All right. and uh, Ted was a great help to help me put that book together. Cool. And um, uh, I mean, a couple of other publications. Along, uh, Bill is also in those, the um, Ready to Tell Tales. Right. Yeah, by, David Holt. Yeah. David Holt yeah. put yeah. together, and, uh, and more Ready to Tell Tales. And those are, those are great books. For beginning storytellers, because these are stories that established storytellers put in the book. That these are stories that you can read, for teachers can read, and tell the next day in school. You know, I mean, you know, and um, stories that they can work on. And uh, there's a wide range of sto- different types of stories. Yeah, I have both of them. Yeah, yeah. they're great books. I think yeah, that was, those guys books. did. That was a good thing. Those guys did. Yeah, that was a good. Those are good books. Yeah. Did you find it hard to transition? From the spoken word to the written word. Oh yeah, especially the uh, the how-to book. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're telling a story, you're using your body, you're using expressions, and you don't need so many words because the audience can tell what's going on. But when you're writing it, sort of the transition, so many words. I said, oh, I got because they can't see me. They got to okay. I got to explain this, and with the how-to book in the column, I have suggested ways. When to drop your voice, when to stand up, when to you know ask for participation uh-huh. in, in the column. Um, so that was another thing that I had to add because when I'm telling the story, I just it just rolls into. Yeah, they can tell it. by dropping your voice, using your voice in a certain way. The audience knows you want them to participate. So you don't have to say, "Okay, I want you to do this." You know, where they know the the repetition, either repetition or participation, just by your voice. They can or by singling, they'll yeah. know when to tune in or you know when to suggest something. Written, it's like even the picture book was uh, was different than that because there are pictures in it now. So okay, you don't have to say all this because the pictures are going to say a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, so it's 
it's really um, challenging. It's a challenge. It's an interesting challenge. But uh, the book that was the most challenged was a how-to storytelling book because there, were, there weren't illustrations and it was just words. And I had to really describe certain things that I didn't describe when I'm telling it. Right. You know, or I described it. So is it also a collection of stories as well? The the, the how-to book is it? The also how, yes. A oh, yeah. It's a collection of stories. Okay. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the stories that I tell, and some stories that I don't tell. That uh, that I and I put it together for beginning tellers and um, advanced tellers, and for teachers who want to use storytelling as a teaching tool, and to get kids interested in storytelling, and uh, and uh, I was pretty pleased. With it. I was, it was a it was a challenge to do. I, I think it came out in '92. I think is back in the '90s, but um, it was a. I'm glad I did it. It was a, you know, um, it was a challenge, but it, I I think it's. I've got a lot of feedback from it. A lot of teachers, beginning storytellers said, "Oh, this this book really helped me get started." That's good. And so, and it's a lot of stories that I tell that they can go and tell them, and here's how I tell it, and and you know, it's just suggested ways to participate if you want to use participation. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it helps people who are beginning storytellers get a foothold cool. in the world of storytelling. Like What's your favorite part of the job? What lights your eyes up? Uh, having the audience, seeing that lower jaw go, ah, or having the kids go, oh, you know, because that aha, aha moment, yeah. that's, I like that when they, when they discover something, they go, Oh, and other kids maybe look at them for a second because they haven't got that point yet, you know. And, and then the other part of the job is, after I perform, I, I like to take, you know, a few minutes for some questions because I know they have questions, right. and I want them to. I don't want them to think, you know, there it is. All right, it's done. Right. So if they have questions, and kids will ask questions of, how did you get started? Um, uh, Where's that story from? Or did you always want to be a storyteller? Yeah, and so I always try to save some time for questions, especially with those middle school and um, well, with all the audiences. But the the really interesting questions come in that third through fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh grade because they're thinking, you know. And sometimes you can tell a kid will ask a question; they're really thinking, you know. Really, you know, wow. And it's and it's great for. And what I do when I do that, I have that student who raises his hand asks question, stand up and I tell everybody, listen, I want you to listen to my friend as well as you listen to me tell stories. So some kids are hesitant to stand up, but they get up and they speak loud enough to ask a question and other kids can hear their questions and I can answer it. And then the next one, stand up. And it's good for them to stand up, and, you know, because yeah. some kids are shy and they want to, uh, but they get up, they feel good about it. And, right. and then I talk about, that's a great question you ask. Yeah. You know? I think it's important that we we um, we let kids know that they that they matter. Yeah. You know, we let them know that they matter. We look in the eyes because, like I said earlier, we we might be the only adults that look in a child's eyes and and speaks to them without barking out orders like, right. "You take the trash out, you feed the dog, right. do your homework." You know, we're the only adult who just just talking to them. Yeah. And uh, a lot goes in. You see these kids; their eyes go. Wow, especially kids who, who haven't been told stories, right? You know? Which they is probably most they're amazing. And, and you get the 
the high school freshmen, uh, they think, oh, storytelling, oh, that's for little kids, oh, oh, yeah. But, you know, they come in and then, and of course, we don't start off with the three little pigs. Yeah, you start off with, start off with something, <laughs> you know, they go, oh, oh, wow. And then they go, oh, this is a story my dad would like this. Oh, okay, this is different. This isn't story, this is different. And then once they're hooked, then we can tell them three little pigs oh, yeah. and tell them anything after that because yeah. now they're, they're into it. And it's, and so that's a challenge. That's what, you know, I mean, I feel blessed. I love what I do. And I feel blessed to be able to, you know, get up in the morning and get 400 kids waiting for me to come tell stories. Yeah. I mean, you know, kids say to me today, they said, uh, did you always want to be a storyteller when you, when you grow up? I said, nah. I'm just like you. I want to be a baseball player, or a yeah. fireman, a, a, you know, football player, athlete. You know, I said, but that's why we go to school. We go to school to learn as much as you can about as much as you can. Gives you more options. Yeah. And they go, ah. Oh. But it's good for them to hear somebody say, oh, I'm just like you. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I, when I was your age. Because some of these kids are being pressured by their parents. Right. Saying, You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. Oh. You're going to, yeah. you know, the poor kids, you know. Yeah. So what lights your eyes up, Bill? Well, just like, I mean, I think the in the performance, you know, there is just that moment when, uh, you know, Quakers have this uh, phrase, a gathered meeting or a covered meeting, when it's like all of a sudden there's just this silence that's palpable and everybody kind of looks up. It's like, whoa. And yeah. that mm. happens in storytelling. Yeah. Where mm. you realize this thing is bigger than me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, something like happens. Something like it happens in most performances where you can like, you can take a step back and you see that this thing is going on. Yeah. But to see the, especially to see those kids' faces looking up at you, it's it's, oh. it's really great. The angels. Um, yeah. it's just angels. But you know, I love making stuff up, and I think it's really hard making stuff up. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hard. Mm. And but when you do, um. It's great. Yeah. It's a great... Uh, and then the other thing is... Well, I mean, the thing is, performance... When performance works, it's a great drug. Yeah. It's like the, oh. the 45 minutes after performance is the only time my mind leaves me alone and says, you're all right. <laughs> and then after a while, it starts revving up again about <laughs> all, the other, all the other crap. You yeah, know, what did that, you do wrong? What could we... Or, 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 or whatever. You pain. know, yeah. the, the yeah. noise. The noise of <laughs> oh. our minds, which yeah. is not what really life is about. But there mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing, and this doesn't happen a lot, but it says, if, I mean, it's the thing about newer material. It's like, either when you're telling a story and something happens that's never happened before, or those first couple times, and they're so rare, but they're so beautiful, when like you've been working on a story and working on a story, and then one day you tell it, and it just, you, you don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah, now we're point. home. Now we're just mm-hmm. gonna have fun. Yeah. Because you got the, you're not worried about the plot, the points, right. the point mm-hmm. to point. You're not worried about whether this is working or not. All of a sudden you realize that the story is, is it's itself. It's itself. Yeah. yeah. And now, now, man, now we're going to have fun. No, yeah. And it's like yeah. when you get that, because, you know, so many stories you work on and it's like, uh, they're kind of limping along and you feel like you ought to do them and, and you mm-hmm. do them and like people like them, but you know, you know, <laughs> it's not, it ain't there. Yeah. And then yeah. are you going to do it again? And you take it apart, you try to figure out what's wrong with it. And so, 
man, when it flies, oh, yeah. it's just, thank yeah. you, <laughs> thank you yeah. so and much. Another now, part of the story, another part of performing is, yeah, it's just is great. when that, uh, uh, when when it's silence, you know, yes. a part of the story where it's yes. just, because silence is loud, yeah, you know, yeah. and when it's, so the kids start, you know, some some of the, because even everybody in the room realizes, oh, it's really quiet in here. Everybody's in that zone, yeah. and that's why I say silence is really loud. Yeah. And that's the thing about, you know, in the, in the in the book that I have, the how to storytelling book is about taking your time and pausing, and not to be afraid of silence. Yeah. You know, because that's it gives the audience time to catch up. Yeah, the kids, uh, you know. You know, I've been thinking about this, and I I think there's a kind of paradox that storytelling has, which is you want to transport them to another place, but if you're performing for a group, you want them to make them aware of each other. And those two, that's a paradox. Because mm-hmm. you want them to be someplace else, but you want them to be with us. And so, and I actually this story I just has finally started working the past year about seventh, uh, seventh grade English and me just trying to always sabotage the class and say something, you know, and mm-hmm. falling over my chair. And, and I said, the reason I liked to do that was everybody would be someplace else or bored. And when I would fall over or make the class laugh, everybody would come back into their bodies mm-hmm. and be aware of each other. And so, and I think that the storytellers, we kind of have that possibility of doing that. Like sometimes I'll tell a story and I'll stop in the moment. I'll go, look at this. It's amazing. Now I'll go back into the story. And yeah. therefore that, or yeah. it can be with a laugh, it's just, I'm really interested in that. So there's this kind of weird paradox mm. between, I want you to be someplace else, you're feeling, feeling what the story is, but I also want you to be aware that we're experiencing this together. Yeah. And that doesn't, that's, it's just an interesting paradox. Yeah. Do, do you think that happens at the end of a performance? Like when, wh- if it's when performance you, is good, yeah. When, yeah. You, when you come out of, yeah, you know, when the audience is in that space. I mean, you know, we've all been in the audience listening to other people. Mm-hmm. And it's like you get wrapped up in the stories or the performances, whatever they're doing, and then at the end, there's this. There is a sense of community. That mm. There's something that we've been so, through this thing together. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. There's this thing, whatever it was, this this magical, yeah, vibe that happened. Mm-hmm. It's something that we all shared, and wasn't it freaking awesome? awesome. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And the, like, uh, just this morning, you know, performing. Sometimes when you tell a story and you're finishing up, you look at the clock and okay, forty-five. Uh, this one gonna be the last story, and you tell the story and, you, and it ends, and you, and nobody moves. Yeah, the teachers don't move, the kids don't move, but, you know, and everybody's just there waiting. Yeah, you know, and it's over. The show's over, and they know. But it's but that moment of just wow we just experienced something we're all here we just wow that was something you know and then it's kind of then that's where it's a really radical thing in a sense Mm. that's where it's political in the really broadest sense is that you're managing and it's always been that's one of the things I learned from Pete Seeger is like music is an expression of community it's like what we've done right now is create a community. This, you know, this guy. Have you ever heard of Hakeem Bey? He's this kind of street philosopher, and he has this thing called the temporary autonomous zone, Taz, which is like 
when something happens and suddenly a group of people go through something like they just assemble for some particular reason and or and the question is like how do you create a taz how can you a temporary autonomous zone where the rules of the culture are the rules the laws that don't apply that somehow we're part of this thing mm. that how do you create a temporary autonomous zone a taz and to some extent storytelling is about mm. creating that yeah. temporary yeah. autonomous zone if you do a good job yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a bad landing on an aeroplane, and everyone's quiet. Like, yeah. And then someone goes, "Woo, woo!" Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we still be like, a good quote. Yeah, well, we storytelling is like a bad landing <laughs> in an aeroplane. There you go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just happy to live through it. <laughs> They're alive. Yeah. Um, what's the most rewarding work that you guys have done, either collectively or individually? I don't know if you can say most. I think there's. I mean, what was your favorite favorite rewarding work? <laughs> well, I think uh, one of the things that for Bill has done is does this uh, concert for the food bank in Rhode Island each year. He does a big concert. I've taken part in it a few times, and it, it fills up the food bank for part of the winter. Right. And I, I think uh, I've worked with. Some nonprofit groups, yeah. and I think working with the nonprofit groups uh, that either house people or clothe people, or you know, being able to do something for uh, a nonprofit that is struggling, but they, you know, their work they're doing for children or families—that's mm -hmm. a rewarding thing. You know, people call and say, you know, we got this event, and we'd like you to participate in, or we'd like to do a fundraising. Could you? And um, one thing that I've I've done is sometimes when organizations that don't have funding or get a little of funding or maybe a lot of funding, and they ask, you know, and I know what the work they do, um, I will charge them something, maybe something minimal, two hundred bucks, or, and then I'll give them the donation. But I want them to, I don't want them to think artists are doing stuff free. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It'll, it'll come to, you know. So if you tell them, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it for 200 bucks, 300 bucks, then they have to work to get that. They, and then it, we're planting the seed that you pay people for doing stuff. Right. And right. then, you know, I can write them a check and, and make that donation back to them. But they had to go through, and then it makes their books look good because. We spend money on on this performer. We have to have a budget, and and so next time when they do funding, they can say, "Well, this is what we spent last year on this particular event." In the right. funding, and you can see, oh, they paid, they paid the artists. Right. But in some ways, see? that gets back to what you know I was saying earlier. That I think, I mean, like, why did you get into this? Uh, which is, I got into it. I mean. I really like being an artist and I like finding new ways of expressing but it's like if I'm not if I'm not making if I'm not healing the world somehow mm. then, and I think that in a I mean the truth is I've had so many experiences that are like that where you know the audience is fulfilled you've made a difference in someone's life and you're fulfilled too you just think 
we both worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations or spoken out politically or something like that. We've you know I've, I've done that in many places where I've performed a song or told a story at this particularly salient time in, in some mm-hmm. going on where it's like that was in that moment that was my work yeah. um, and it's not I think that I mean you know nobody stands on stage unless unless they got an ego I mean you know you want people mm-hmm. to look at you but there's a point, it's it's like we just need to face that but there's there are points where your work transcends that yes and that's what you really want mm-hmm. and I've been lucky that I've had so many of those yeah. that's why I think it's like when you think one I can think of yeah, um, I, I, just when it's true. just the the story is bigger than you, the event is bigger than you, uh, the the purpose is bigger than you, uh, and artists, if they're attentive, get to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think Bill and I both both feel here at least in Rhode Island. Bill's close enough to Rhode Island, like Rhode Island. I know I'm basically a Rhode Islander. That we yeah. we're we're known well enough that we can lend support. To right. different organizations. One organization that uh, I've been part of is called Ten Men, and it's uh, Rhode Islanders Against Domestic Violence. Oh. And each year, nice. a new group of ten men get together and they meet for a year. And they have speakers come in, some women who have been de- de- dealing with domestic violence, or men, and we speak, we meet monthly, and we talk about, and from all walks of life. Some of them are uh, ex policemen, some are. Uh, uh, football coaches in high school or college, uh, professors, teachers, people from different walks of life, guys from different walks of life, get together for uh, a year and meet once a month and talk about these issues and how we can influence young boys, basically about and 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 men, other men about domestic violence and uh, how. how uh, Detrimental that is to society, not just to, and lends faces on buses all over Rhode yeah. Island. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, and, and so, I was like, oh god, there he is again. Yeah. He's looking very serious. Yeah. Looking very serious. Yeah. But it's um, so it's groups like that that we can lend support to and be part of. Right. Um, and that that ten men, each year a new group of ten men get together. And it's been going on for now about eight years. So there's like. 80 guys where we get together as a large group maybe twice a year mm. and but and then each and then like I, re, I would recommend somebody when I came at the end of my year I'd recommend somebody or, or a couple of different people to be part of that and it's it's a wonderful thing and so we could we both can lend support to organizations that are going to better society which is part of the community maintenance, community yeah. building that we do. It's almost like, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think at a certain point, you, the nature of your work changes and the reasons for your work change, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's like when we were in our 20s and 30s, we were, I was hungry, you oh. know. Yeah. I, I was hungry. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I look back on now, it's like I really, I, I can see how I wanted attention and all that other stuff. And like I said, you, you always do have an ego, but, and I was trying to, I was always trying to moderate it, but no, I, I know it was there. And you get to a certain point and you start asking yourself questions about what your work really is uh, and mm-hmm. how, how are you going to express it? And 
that's that's only a natural thing that should occur to somebody in the in a, in the course of I'm always hesitant to call it a career, but in the course of your life's work, mm-hmm. uh, that the nature of it changes. Sure. So I think we're both more careful about that. It's like, how am I going to, What I got a voice. What am I yeah. going to do with it? Exactly. Right. And also, you know, you want a voice when performing, you know, every word you're using, uh, kids are hearing. Right. You know, so what's, what, what, what is the kindest thing I can do? What is the, most positive thing I could say. What what language is you know? We're teaching language. We're also teaching feelings, mm-hmm. and they're looking at men talking about uh, you know talking to them, but raising the level of their consciousness yeah. through stories. Right, right. And so it's an important job that we have, and so we have to be conscious of our language uh, and the way that we carry ourselves in front of. The students, uh, you know, um, I mean, w- when when we pull up to a school, from the moment we pull into a parking lot, the kids are watching us. Yeah. So, you know, we always look out the window, especially him. We always look out the window at somebody. Hey, what's he doing? Hey, who's that guy? Somebody's coming in. Can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're, they're looking at you. They go down the hallway and they see, hey, when in the principal's <laughs> office? And then, can I go to, yeah, he's in the library. You're sitting on the floor reading books. Well, you know, us walking into a school, it's already, it's like, we are not, I sometimes look like I'm just a guerrilla attack on the culture of the school because it's like, who is this guy? It's like, are you allowed to do this as an adult? You know, is this, just, this is this is not normal. This, these That's people right. that come in here, they are, they are not normal. And I feel like you're just kind of pushing the envelope a little bit about, like, I can imagine what's, What's possible? Yeah, uh, right. You don't want to. You don't want to like pat yourself on the back too much for it. No. I mean, I'm always leery when artists say, you know, we're changing the world just by our. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you're not really. It's, yeah, it's, 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 maybe you should. Maybe you can do a little bit more. <laughs> but, but, hey, you know. a little kitty cat. Describe your creative process for us, please. Oh, well, I um, one of the things I learned is you got to show up every day. It was, uh, I remember meeting Russell Banks, this novelist, um, great novelist, and I hearing him talk, and I was talking to him afterwards, and this was probably 25 years ago. I said, I'm really trying to write more. And I know, but that's a lame statement, because he said, well, you know, I think if a writer does an hour of work a day, they'll do their life's work. What? (laughs) And... I kind of said, well, I ought to at least be able to do that an hour a day. Um, Because it's not about inspiration as much as it is about habit and showing up. Because some days you show up and what you do is crap. But you don't know what days are going to be crap. Right. and what days aren't yeah. and also you're not a very good judge of what is crap yeah you know some things I think are absolutely brilliant the rest of the world is are idiots and they don't see how brilliant it is and some people things I kind of throw off and say oh this kind of sucks and it's like oh my god we love that so be careful because then you got to do it over and over and over yeah. again yeah. Um, so the showing up thing is really big uh, and I, the other thing I think 
I mean, I, I, I've come to understand part of the creative process is this thought problems, which, you know, actually Einstein talked about, he would just, he would come up with these thought problems. So like, what, what if, and I, I think you start to do that, you start to ask yourself questions. Uh, what if I wrote a song about this? What, you know, what kind of things? And you just start brainstorming. And I, I think the other thing, I think when people have a hard time with the creative process, a lot of time it's they edit themselves before they do anything. And I think that people who are really successful in creating things, they've learned a way to put that editor, that negative voice aside. And by that you're saying something like, I don't think I could ever do that. I don't think I could do that. Somebody else has already done it. Right. I don't really know how to play that chord progression. I don't have that great a command of language. Right. Somebody else already has taken that folk tale and done a really good job with it. Yeah. Um, to talk about to talk about a homework assignment is like everybody's had to talk about it. It's nothing. Um, but you know, there's a great quote from Martha Graham um, about that. Uh, your job is not to be the critic, is not to decide what's good or bad or whether it's hard or not. There's something that comes through you that can all be expressed through you. Right, and right. it's not your job to, to judge it. Mm -hmm. It's your job is to get out of the way and it. let it come through as well as you can. Right. And other people will decide whether it has value or not. That's not your job. Um, so I, I think when I learned that, and I'm still going to be really hard on myself, but when I learned that, like in that period, you kind of have to create that space where it's going to happen on a regular basis. Uh, and, you know, there's days I don't feel like doing it. But mm -hmm. I try to show up. Yeah, I try to show up a little bit, and I that made when I realized that that made a big difference in how I approached my work. And I'm, I've never been legitimate in anything, so I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> it's like I don't, you know, especially yeah. at this time. If you're not gonna, if you're gonna, mm. if you're, if you're 65 and you're afraid to do something and somebody's gonna judge you, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not close enough to the edge. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I mean, there's a lot. Of, I think there is a, there's a craft to it too. There's, a, I mean, you learn a lot of this. Like we know a lot of things in performance. Like Glenn was saying about how you adjust your voice and all that stuff. And there's a lot of different ways. I have it coming out of problem creatively. Let me try it this way. Try it this way, and not being tied to one particular mm. approach. Right, right. It's right. like any way I can. Right. You know, any means necessary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We said that was, was that Malcolm X. Any means, by any means necessary. Yeah, right. So, but there is there's a there's a craft to it, but a lot of it is just setting time to show up. Hmm. And and if you have to get up early so nobody's bugging you, or you have to say I'm sorry, you, you got to be kind of ruthless about it. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. What's your process, Len? Well. I, I do a lot of uh, legends, folk tales. Um, I, I have a few personal stories, but most of the time I'm telling uh, folk tales from around the world, fairy tales. And when I find a story that I, I want to uh, work on, capture, develop, you know, I will read it aloud. Um, I'll start living with it, thinking about it. And when I'm driving in my car, I'm thinking about it, I'm talking it. Uh, I pace when I'm working on 
something. Yeah, walking. Um, either upstairs in the studio space, uh, walking. Um, if I'm trying to get a rhythm of a story, sometimes I'll sing it. It'll help me remember the story. Oh, wow. uh, but I'll sing the song. I'll, I'll make a sing song, and it, it kind of locks it in. Because I used to write a lot of poetry. I still do write poetry. And and sometimes I'll sit down and, I, and I'll be wanting to write a story, but I'll write a poem. But that's okay, as long as I'm pushing a pencil, because that poem might become a story, might become a seed of a story. I have journals that go back to the 70s when I was writing, mm -hmm. in, when I was in Europe and when I was in California. Just, you know, just, you know, daily stuff, you know. And sometimes I'll pull out that stack of journals and go through them, and I'll find a seed of a story or a poem that I, that I wrote back in the 80s, in, uh, in the 70s, and when I was maybe in Jamaica or something. And I'll say, oh, and that poem might become a seed of a story now. I can, oh, oh I'm going to wow. put that in with this other thing that I wrote. It'll become, but then once I start to get an idea what story, I how I want to do it, I'll walk with it, talk with it, you know, maybe in the past, we've gotten together to, uh, to talk story. Right. Uh, Bill and I and a few other storytellers, Milbury was around back then when she lived here, and we'd get together and share stories. And then Bill and I were also part of the Blue Mountain Group, which was part of uh, Gwenda Ledbetter and oh, right, David right, Holt. Okay. And Michael and all the tellers that you've you mentioned, Jay, yeah. and uh, you know we, we'd share stories, share ideas for stories, and stuff. You know we're working on this story here. So if I'm working on a story, and and um, you know I get together with Bill and maybe run that story by Bill, or he'll run a story by me and get some feedback. Then there's a school right around the corner here that I'm working there tomorrow. Matter of fact, elementary Edward school, uh, Edward Highland. Yeah, I can if I if I have a story, I can just. Call up and say, "Hey, I got a story. I'd like to run by a third grade class." Oh, please do! <laughs> so I can go over there and I can run it by a third grade class or fourth grade class as I'm working on a story. Nice. And then, uh, um, which is great to have a school right around the area that I can do that with. Um, but uh, I think trying to capture that story and develop the character, finding different voices for the character takes a while. You yeah. know to. Yeah, feel comfortable with the story, and then finally, when it clicks, you go, "Oh yeah, now yeah. now it's clicking." You know, you're not so concerned about trying to juggle all these balls. Now you just know it's, "Oh, I got this, I got this now." Yeah, and then you can you expand it. Now, I used to think about um, story when you when we when we were telling stories, it, that it's always better to have the story be a, a powder packed five-minute story mm -hmm. than a week eight-minute story. Oh, yeah. So start off with a five-minute, and then once that's really powder-packed, then you can embellish it, and that story, that five-minute story, will become a 12-minute story. Yeah. But it's all like that. Because you want the audience taking care of the... You want the audience to enjoy the story, you know? Yeah, uh, you want to be able to reach them, because sometimes you only get one shot, you know? Uh, storyteller, what's a storyteller? Yeah. You know, these kids, they, don't, they haven't been exposed to storytelling, so we know that. Right. So it's important, not for just us in here right now, but for storytelling in general, the storytelling in their lives. Yeah. Because if we go in there and we bore them, they're going to say, oh, I don't want to listen to stories. I hear the storytelling. Yeah. Oh, you bore the shit out of me. Yeah. So we need to realize we've got to get that, we've got to hit that mark. Right. And have that audience 
say when the show's over, have them either say, "I wish he told one more story," rather than saying, "Oh, there's a long. I wish he didn't tell that last story." Or, I think that's really know. true. I mean, this is where I, you become aware, and I'm gonna have to go pretty soon. Uh, that the nature of oral narrative, that a story grows in the telling, yeah. not just in its richness, but also in its length. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of my yes. stories, some of my stories started out as eight or ten minutes, and now they're thirty-five. Yes, and exactly. It's not, and there's not, it's it's thirty-five good minutes yes. because yeah. there are discoveries that we make, mm-hmm. and that's that's a world that people don't like. Actors don't understand the the, the regular mm-hmm. world doesn't understand what that oral world is like. Yeah, you know, it's a it's an amazing place to be in. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. Last well, one last question for okay. you before you go. I know a lot of your work and some of what you do appears to be your like personal beliefs, at least I think they are. And you're very respectful of other cultures and you talk about you know, I've seen you talk about the land that we're that we're we're on and who yeah. the, who that land originally belonged to. Do you think that storytelling, uh, like either folk and fairy tales or what you do, is a way that we can bring around we can dismantle any kind of intolerance? we can bring around more compassion yeah i do i mean i think uh, i mean you know that the most dangerous person is a person who has one story Hmm. Uh, and the the more stories and if stories are a model of way of thinking or a way of understanding the world or a way of solving a problem um then the more stories you have the 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 more tolerant you're going to become. I, I think we need to be careful about not patting ourselves on the back too much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it builds. Uh, I think hearing stories and because what you're doing is you're 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 feeling what the people in the other people in the other story are feeling. Right. And when you do that, you're putting yourself in someone else's place. And that the ability to put yourself in someone else's place is what, I mean, tolerance isn't even a good enough word. Yeah. Um, but compassion mm-hmm. and uh, is, is about. And, you know, this, I mean, Trump is a perfect example of this because Trump doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. He, he, he is literally congenitally unable to put himself in somebody else's shoes right um, he, he can't do it he's 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 mentally ill in that way and I'm not using those words lightly but he, you mm-hmm. know, he really is he's 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 a damaged person and so this this notion that like the more stories you hear you know like I'm listening to this Frederick Douglass biography that came out two years ago it's like and at a certain point I'm just like how did I'm feeling so much compassion for him because I'm hearing his story. So I think that that's true. And so I think storytellers have a responsibility when they're sharing a story is what is it saying about the world? And that's mm-hmm. that's my first check and not not whether it's a political story or not, but whether what what does it say about the way I see the world? And if it sounds this way, then you might if it does this particular perspective, then you need to think about Presenting something else that's going to make pe- that's that's going to balance not not left or right but mm-hmm. just but this is true too because mm-hmm. 
the one thing, and this is like what these people right now is they can't hold paradox. And the, if you're gonna if you're gonna be an adult in the best sense of the world, you have to be able to hold paradox. Mm-hmm. You have to hold there are two truths that seem to be at war with each other, and both of them are true. What are we gonna do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, like can you let everybody in uh, on the border? Can you just can you put people in cages? Okay, no, you can't put people in cages. No, you can't let everybody in. All right, mm-hmm. well, that's a paradox. Right. You know, so we're gonna and it's and it's it's hard. Right. And we don't want to do that, so we say yes. You know, mm-hmm. we're just gonna do this because I don't want to think about it anymore. Right. Right. The story ought to be able to hold us, and it's the power of it is, is that it's not about you. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this over here. Right. So it helps us take a step out of ourselves and imagine that um, it's it's not a you statement. Uh, and so I think it does. I, I don't, you know, like I think the human race is 15% crazy. It's like Just every 50. Well, that's all it takes to screw something up. Mm, it's like each of us is 15% crazy and there's 50% of people crazy in the world. And 15% is enough to really screw it up. Yeah. Like if you think about a classroom. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. two. If you, if you got one crazy kid in a class, it's you can probably handle it. If you got three, you're, you're, you're really in trouble. And we got three. <laughs> so I don't know about the human race. Yeah, I, yeah. I do, you know, we've, we've done a pretty good job messing it up. But, like Maimonides said, you know, I don't know the exact way, is like, don't confuse the probable for the inevitable. Like, just don't assume mm. because something is probably going to happen that is definitely going to happen. Right, and right. it's that space between the probable and the inevitable mm. that story ought to work that 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 yeah we kind of have to do our work so this was where bill had to leave i think he was off to see his fitness trainer or his wife not sure if you missed part one of this really long interview with bill harley and len cabrell please go back and have a listen and please come back for the next episode for more of len cabrell where it is just the two of us just the two of us it'll be coming out very soon if you enjoyed listening to this podcast be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should interview certain folk and fairy tale, myths and legends storytellers, send me an email. You can find me and my work on Facebook, Simon Brooks Storyteller, on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com, and on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Diamond Scree? Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout-out to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use the wonderful music for my podcast. His band is called Blackpool Mecca. Check it out. Thanks again for being here with me. I know that there are a lot of other places that you could be, so I really appreciate it. Honest, I do. Isn't there a song like that? Anyway, until next time, be healthy, be happy, and share the stories you love. Cheers. Simon out. <laughs>